Kid Gleason was not only a coach for the Chicago White Sox, but he, you know, he was the manager for five years. And my goal is, is that whether it's the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Irish American Hall of Fame, or whoever, is to put Kid Gleason in a Hall of Fame wearing a white hat with no resemblance to the Black Sox. Because he is, in every biography that I can find, Wikipedia, whatever, it says, oh, he was the manager of the Black Sox. Well, that was five years. He spent his entire adult life in baseball. He won 38 games in 1890 for the Phillies, which will never be broken. He led his league in a major statistical category as a pitcher, as a fielder, and as a batter. I'm trying to show that there's no one else that did that. That was author and college baseball coach Dirk Baker talking about Kid Gleason, manager of the 1919 Chicago White Sox team that threw the World Series. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. Dirk Baker is going to be my guest on the show today and we will focus the majority of our conversation on his research into Gleason for a future book. There is so much happening with the Irish American Baseball Society between this podcast, the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, the Irish Wolfhounds, and Irish language classes. This is just a fraction of what is happening with the organization, so make sure you're at least a member of the IABS at our free level. Right now, let's welcome Dirk Baker to the show. Thanks for being here, Dirk. Great to be here. Great to be here. So you have a very extensive resume, and you have a hand in a lot of different areas of work, which is really cool. I love having people on the show who are not just singularly focused. They have a lot of different interests, and you are a writer. You are a former college baseball coach. And you have a lot of different experiences. And it's not like all of your books are just about baseball or anything. Like, you have a lot of different interests. So why don't you talk a little bit about your career? I'm a baseball lifer, but I've also been, as you said, a writer. Um, and I've tried to kind of have my bucket list of the different types of writing from uh, a historical perspective. I actually did a history of baseball of my hometown in Auburn, Mass. Uh, instructional, I did two instructional books. I've done five instructional videos for baseball. Uh, I actually wrote a children's book and just completed a novel uh, last year. And here is my first big task of a, quote, academic, scholarly, historical uh, remembrance of a Pretty remarkable character, full-blooded Irishman named William Kidd Gleason from the Deadball era. Okay, so let's talk about that just a little bit. Obviously, you know, you're still working on that. But what are some things about Kidd Gleason that you have found out during your research? And what do you want to tell people about that era of baseball? Because I think people our age, people maybe a little older than us, they were taught about that era of baseball. We kind of had it like pushed down our throats. Like it was always our era wasn't good enough because of those eras back, you know, Babe Ruth and before that. But now I think a lot of that is getting lost where we might've gotten too much of it. 
kids today maybe aren't hearing enough about it. So what do you want to have people know about not just Kid Gleason as an individual baseball icon, but of that era in general? I got so many things in my head right now. During COVID, I literally got TV'd out and started uh, watching all of the documentaries, you know, from 100 years, from 1919 to 2019. I, I started getting into these documentaries for the anniversary. Then I started buying books on Amazon because you couldn't go anywhere. And this were, is where it all started um, from a historical perspective. And I've never been a fan of old-time baseball. I had zero interest. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. Um, the, the publishing company that I'm trying to uh, land this book contract with, McFarland in North Carolina, and I had two of my previous books with them, they specialize in the dead ball era. And I want to say this, including yourself, every single person from st uh, sabermetrician, uh, statistics, the Hall of Fame, websites, podcasts, authors, every single person out there that I've asked for information on Kid Gleason has responded to me. And one of the big things of me being on is nobody knows anything about Kid Gleason. And not only am I trying to get his story out there, but I'm trying to get him elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, I always think outside the box. And I was there a couple of weeks ago before the holiday. And they, they loved the idea of Kid Gleason. Um, they got two displays of him there. But the other thing is, I'm trying to get the word out is that I am being told that his wife slash stepdaughter uh, had a big family. Uh, now, William Gleason is a pretty common Irish name. Um, he was born in Camden, basically grew up there and in Philadelphia. I'm trying to get the word out. Who is related to Kid Gleason? If you know anything about Kid Gleason, uh, give me a call, please. <laughs> So why don't you give some sort of contact information seriously right now where somebody can get a hold of you if they do have any information about Kid Gleason? I have uh, a Kid Gleason page, uh, Dirk Baker. Just type in my name, either Facebook or Instagram. I got a, a Kid Gleason page on both um, members of Society of American Baseball Research, Sabre. I have all my contact information on there. My number is 774-230-3872. I did have connection with three of his distant relatives, and we're trying to find this mysterious locker of equipment. Um, when I was at the Hall of Fame, uh, there was this Harry A. Davis Jr. that had loaned out his uniform from the 1917 World Series and apparently there's a Harry Davis Jr. buried at Kid Gleason's cemetery plot in North Philly. And I'm trying to track down the family. Uh, this has been a detective story. Uh, it's been awesome. And I'm trying to come up with nuggets out there about this guy. And I've been uh, literally amazed. Even just before I got on with you today, um, I've been searching for this Harry Grabener. Uh, team secretary diary that was supposedly um, was written about the Black Sox scandal. And I found another page today on the internet because um, I'm trying to find the salaries. I'm trying to find the salaries of Kid Gleason as the manager of the White Sox back in the day. Uh, but just to give you a real quick lowdown, the guy played 
uh, 20 years in the big leagues, 22 total when he was a sub. Uh, he was a coach and manager for about 20. He spent his entire adult life in baseball. Uh, his players threw him under the bus when they conspired with gamblers to throw the 1919 World Series. So let's start with that. The 1919 World Series, I think, is where most people who have heard of Kid Gleason are going to know him. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen the movie, you've probably read the book, Eight Men Out, and you know that portrayal of Kid Gleason. Would you say that's an accurate portrayal of him, the one from that movie? Yes, and it's interesting. I was uh, watching the movie probably for the hundredth time last night, and basically, the opening of the movie, Charlie Comiskey, the owner, is hosting the writers in Comiskey Park for a game. And he gives a shout out to Kid Gleason um, for the 1919 team. And I, I guess I had kind of forgotten about that. And John Mahoney plays a great Kid Gleason. You know, he's the sympathetic uh, leader of the team. Uh, but again, not only did he lose out on a World Series, but he almost got blacklisted from baseball because nobody talked about what actually happened because, you know, you had the gambling aspect of this and whether or not guys were being threatened. And, you know, he ended up getting a heart attack uh, and heart problems, and he died at age 67 in 1933. Uh, he had jumped back into baseball with the Philadelphia A's. But, you know, if this team wasn't crooked, this guy – would certainly be in the Hall of Fame for winning pennants and World Series with that White Sox team. It didn't seem like the players did it to spite Kid Gleason. This was all about Comiskey. It seemed like the players were very sympathetic to Kid Gleason and almost, not that they didn't want to, like, obviously they couldn't let him in on it, but that they felt like they were letting him down by doing this. In your research, do you think that checks? hundred percent. And we now know that not only did the movie have a lot of, you know, movie making episodes that weren't true, but the, the book eight men out because Elliot Asinoff didn't reference any of his material. He made things up. The big uh, makeup by him was this uh, gangster who was going to take out Lefty Williams if he didn't throw the last game, game eight. But we, we now know that that wasn't true. Well, I think that would be an interesting development for anybody who really does know the book and the movie that this gambler who threatened Lefty, like that's a big part of the movie. They try to set up that relationship with his wife so that that is something that really has some impact. He made a lot of things up and just got away with it. Be, without having any references and that's why this book that i'm having uh the only opinion or personal reflection that i have is in a uh i call it the afterward um you know after the book is over and i have my own comments about clid so i have to back everything up but the one part about the gangster uh threatening lefty and his wife i found a snippet from a newspaper that kid gleason after the series was over went to east st louis trying to find the gamblers um, who were involved with his players and may have, may have uh, put a gun to one of these guys. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, and you wouldn't believe how many instances I have of Kid Gleason getting scraps 
the guy was only 5'7", 150, and, you know, tough fighting Irishman. Uh, nobody messed with this guy. They said he never lost the fight. So it's it's pretty easy to imagine him going to East St. Louis and asking around the pool halls and the bars, you know, who is uh, who are the gang who are the gamblers in the city? So, uh, but they didn't find any evidence then, even with Comiskey's so-called ransom of information, uh, until this uh, former boxer who was in cahoots uh, with Abe Attell, the, uh, the fighter who was you know in the movie. Um, you know, spilling their beans, trying to make some make some more money, and that's where it really hit the papers, and then it was all downhill from there. And if you just got your information from the movie and you didn't read the book or you didn't know a lot of the history, I think one of the most forgotten parts of that entire incident and what I find to be the most interesting part of the 1919 Black Sox scandal is that those players played the 1920 season and I can't imagine how stressful that must've been for those players as this was starting to break in the papers, as they started to worry about their future, their livelihood, whether they would be able to play the game. That's a lot to think about while playing a season. They obviously threw games in 1919. There's even talk that the last few games of the season against um, the Tigers is that they threw games then because back in that day, the teams that finished first, second, and third received, quote, World Series money. And because the pennant was already won, they threw the games to the Tigers because the Tigers had thrown games to them back in 1917. This, you know, the 1918 World Series was probably fixed between the uh, Red Sox and the Cubs. And then they were this this proof that they threw games in 1920 and they were only, you know, they were fighting for the pennant going into the last week. Do you find it ironic that throughout the season with all of these whispers and rumors, the stress of Kid Gleason, uh, wondering if this was going to actually crush him and his team and to go into the last week with a shot at back-to-back pennants that it hits the papers, Comiskey suspends the eight guys, excuse me, seven, because Chick Gandel had retired, um, the, you know, the infamous first baseman. And, you know, they just had a mop-up crew for the last. They lost, you know, two or three. The Indians won the pennant, and then they won the World Series, and the White Sox never got back to another World Series till 59. But that's the thing. That's actually another movie. What was it like to coach the 1920 White Sox. Wow. And I think you bring up a really good point here when it comes to the 1918 World Series back in 1917 games being thrown. This team was definitely the scapegoat of a very shady beginning to the sport. Now, this was really when I think they started to get the reins on things, and I don't think you get baseball as big as it is now if they don't get things under control and have the fans think that everything is on the level but they really took the hit for a lot of people who were getting away with doing stuff like this so when you talk about kid gleason and eventually getting into the hall of fame why don't we talk about his career and whether 
if you take away this stain, which obviously was a huge part of the game back in the day, is he worthy without this 1919 World Series hanging over his head? Kid Gleason was not only a coach for the Chicago White Sox, but he, you know, he was the manager for five years. And my goal is, is that whether it's the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Irish American Hall of Fame, or whoever, is to put Kid Gleason in a Hall of Fame wearing a white hat with no resemblance to the black socks. Because he is, in every biography that I can find, Wikipedia, whatever, it says, oh, he was the manager of the Black Sox. Well, that was five years. He spent his entire adult life in baseball. He won 38 games in 1890 for the Phillies, which will never be broken. He led his league in a major statistical category as a pitcher, as a fielder, and as a batter. I'm trying to show that there's no one else that did that. A lot of sources have him playing every position on the field and Unfortunately, it was at the Hall of Fame. They may have screwed up one of the games that he, quote, caught in and he actually pitched. But let's just say he played every other position except for catcher. He was a the trainer. Um, it, it, we call it an athletic trainer, but they didn't call it a trainer back then. Uh, the strength and conditioning coach, the traveling secretary. Um, if he had, could have driven the team train, he probably would have. Uh, he even negotiated contracts for the players and trades. He did everything. So uh, when I was at the Hall of Fame, they made the suggestion of the Buck O'Neill Award, and everybody knows Buck O'Neill, for contributions to the game of baseball and, you know, making the game great. And that's kind of where I'm headed with this. No, he was not a Hall of Fame player. And even though he won a pennant in his first year as manager and he won three World Series as a coach, uh, I'm trying to take the whole ensemble together and show what a great person this guy was. And the fact that, you know, he may have gone to the horse races back, you know, everybody did back then. But as a contributor uh, to make the game great, even though gambling was, all, you know, a huge part of it. And as the Irish American Baseball Society, we often talk about some of these older players and how for Irish immigrants and the children of Irish immigrants at the time in those early days of baseball, the sport was a way to sort of get out of a bad situation. We've seen it not only with Irish Americans, but we've seen it with black players, with Hispanic players. Baseball is a sport that helps groups of people who are marginalized get out of bad situations. Kid Gleason, as somebody who was Irish and was using the game to better himself in society, I think there was a lot of that 1919 scandal that, yes, they took the money, and yes, they did things that were wrong, but it was kind of a classist way to look at everything. Now we think about players, and we have Shohei Otani's $70 million a year contract, and we don't realize that baseball players at the time were just regular working class people. They were making maybe a little more than regular working class salaries. And the money that they got for throwing that World Series made a huge difference for them. They were trying to negotiate with this very, very rich Charlie Comiskey 
who wasn't giving them bonuses, who was trying to keep salary low while he was getting his reputation from the writers by treating them like gods. So the Irishness of Kid Gleason and the working class background plays a huge part not only in his success, but in what eventually caused him to be attached to this scandal. Without a doubt. And what how you just said that was so eloquent. Uh, I might even use, <laughs> use what you just said as part of my introduction because it was well said. Uh, yes, Kid Gleason, you know, he only went uh, two years of high school as, as a lot of uh, immigrants did back then. He was part of a large family. Um, he was from the docks of Camden, New Jersey and spent uh, 15 years in Philadelphia uh, across the river and then, you know, 10 years with the White Sox in Chicago. Uh, and this probably saved him. Uh, he could not go back. To, I mean, he worked on the railroad as a brakeman, like many of his family. And when the scandal hit him, he was out of baseball for two years. And then Connie Mack bumped into him and brought him back with the A's and probably would have finished his career in baseball if it wasn't for the, um, you know, he had a big heart, and his heart got broken by his players, is, is, is how I like to say it. Um, but what the book is about and how I treat it is I try to bring people back to that time period with the salaries. Um, Comiskey didn't pay the players what they thought they were worth. He paid them as to what they would have worked as a normal American. Can you imagine that, how times have changed? And the language, uh, the Grantland Rice, the Hugh Fullerton, uh, so many of these great writers. And I actually spend a great deal of time highlighting the great sports writers of 100 years ago, you know, because I'm a writer myself. And to not lose sight is the Black Sox scandal happened because of the great reporting, whether we like it or not. Uh, the yellow journalism, as we call it. So uh, it is nice and interesting to go back 100, 120 years and, and see how life was like back then. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll talk to you soon. Go Irish. Thank you. I'm Rick Becker, and I will have Dirk Baker back on the show to talk about some of his other projects, including his desire to promote the game with younger players. We all love this game, and for it to last past us, kids have to be interested in it. This has been episode 82 of the Irish Baseball Podcast.